I'm Simon, Simon Barjona, Andrew's brother, fisherman from, from Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you've heard of, of my partners, James and John. Most people know me by, by Simon Peter, Peter, the rock, the, the name my Lord gave me, the day I, I, I actually got something right. I understood that he was Messiah, the promised Savior, the Son of God. I'll never forget that first day that I met Jesus. I was working down at the boats along the seaside when, when Andrew ran up to me and he said, Peter, Peter, we found him, the one John's been talking about, the, the one who would baptize us with the Spirit, the one John said he would be unworthy to untie his sandal. And I looked up at Andrew and I said, The Messiah? The Messiah? You have found Messiah? Yes, we have found him. A few moments later, a crowd descended along the water's edge and Jesus leading them. He came up to me and, and asked if he could borrow one of the boats so that he could teach the crowds from the boat. And, and so I gladly agreed and we went off a ways from shore and, and Jesus began to teach and his teaching was amazing. And his voice rolled across the waters like a storm across the sea. And then right after the teaching, he looked at me and said, let's go fish. And I could tell maybe he doesn't know a lot about fishing. I said, Lord Jesus, the, my brother and I, we've been out fishing all night. James and John, too. We haven't caught anything, not a fish. You want to still go fishing? So off we went into the deep. And to my amazement, after we threw the nets in, a short while later, we had such a catch that our nets couldn't hold it. They began to tear, and we called for James and John, come quick, come help. And as we were sorting out the fish between the boats, all of a sudden I realized this was no ordinary catch. This man was no ordinary man. I fell at his feet and I said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I do not belong in your presence. That day forever changed my life. I was still in the fishing business, so to speak. As Jesus would put it, we were to be now fishers of men. And we did leave the fishing business all behind and gladly follow Jesus. What a fishing expedition it was those three years. So full of, of happy memories. Memories of Jesus teaching the crowds and seeing their jaws drop in amazement. While at the same time, looking at the religious leaders' eyebrows going up and up as they couldn't believe the claims he was making. I remember the many miracles. The casting out of demons. The healing of the lame and the blind and the sick. Raising Lazarus from the dead. That day when he took the little boy's lunch and he prayed over and multiplied it and it became a feast for thousands. I remember the day that yours truly, the rock, was walking on water. I was. Walking on water. Walking on water, I said to myself. And I looked down and before I knew what was happening, I began to sink and I, I reached out for Jesus' hand and he rescued me. I remember the time that I really thought we were going to die. We were in our boat. The storm blew up like it does, but 
I thought there was no chance we would survive. And can you believe it? But Jesus was sleeping like a baby in the midst of the storm. We went over to him. We roused him. Lord, Master, have pity on us. Do something. Save us. And in just a few short words, peace, be still. And the storm was over. The storm seemed to be brewing around Jesus' life and ministry all the time. But how I remember the day when I thought maybe the storms had passed. It was Sunday morning before Passover. We had just spent the weekend with Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. We were making our way down to Jerusalem, and the word was out that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem this Passover. And as Jesus descended the mount on the foal of a donkey, the crowd started to come out of the city up the hill. They came from the side villages too. And as they came, they came waving their branches and laying them down before Jesus, along with their cloaks and tunics, paving a way for this new king. Hosanna, they cried. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And how me and the followers of Christ were so overcome with joy that now it wasn't just us who recognized who he was. The masses recognized Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus had us follow him right into the temple. And as we, as we moved into the temple, we looked at Jesus and noticed on his face that he was troubled. We didn't know what at first, but that vein right here began to, to twitch and grow larger. And pretty soon we knew exactly what was troubling him as he turned over the money changers' tables and he grabbed a whip and he started driving them out of his father's house, crying out, My father's house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. You, you have made it a den of thieves. Oh, the look on his face. So different from that other look I saw. There was just three of us, myself and James and John. Jesus took us up to the mountain. He wanted to show us something. Had nothing to do with the mountain, nor what we could see from the mountain. But he wanted us to get a glimpse of who he really was. A glimpse of his glory. He changed before our very eyes have you ever seen an angel? I have seen an angel. An angel broke me out of prison one night, and I walked right out, right out of those iron shut gates. I've seen the face of an angel. And what I saw that day on the mount looked nothing like the angel I saw. Jesus' face shone like 10,000 suns. Oh, the happy memories of those three years fishing for men. What's that you say? Any regrets? Yeah, plenty of regrets. I don't think there's been too many followers of Christ at one point in their life they don't have a regret or two. It's interesting that so many of my regrets kind of are clustered right around the, the period where Jesus died on the cross. And when you ask me about regrets, there's only one thing that really leaps into my mind, and that is the day that I denied Jesus three times. Over dinner, he told us that one of us would betray him. And I made it clear, and I meant it with all my heart, Lord Jesus, though all these men here betray you and turn their back on you, I will never do that. And Jesus quietly said, Peter, before the rooster crows twice today, you will deny me three times. 
That's exactly what happened. I failed to take a stand that I was one of his followers, even in the face of a young servant girl there in the courtyard. Regrets that in the hour of his greatest need, I fell asleep on him three times. Regrets that that I would think somehow that I could rescue Jesus from, from this angry mob that had gathered to arrest him that night as I pulled out my knife and whacked off Malchus's ear. Ashamed of my foolishness. Regrets, oh, lots of regrets. I had this knack of putting my foot in my mouth and opening my foot again only, my mouth again only to change feet. Lots of regrets. But then there was this one day where I went from hero to goat. You ever have a day like that? I mean, it was the best of the best, and it was the worst of the worst. We are on our way up to Caesarea Philippi, and as we are traveling, Jesus asks us the question, who do the people say that I am? Well, we quickly recounted what we had heard. Some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Come back from the dead. Others say, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned the question a little, and he said, but who do you say that I am? Well, I quickly responded, Jesus, you are the Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is the part where I'm the hero. And he looked at me, and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. You are Peter, the rock, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, those sweet words of blessing. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And as I was basking in his sweet praise, all of a sudden he said something very surprising. He warned us not to tell anyone about it, about the fact that he was Messiah. I found this very strange. I thought to myself, Lord, for thousands of years now, your people have been waiting for Messiah, and we all agree that you're Messiah. Shouldn't we let him know? The warning was clear. And though the warning was strange, what happened next was even stranger. With shocking horror, he went on to describe his impending death when he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the religious leaders and the priests and the scribes, the teachers of the law, and he will be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. To be honest with you, once he said the word killed, I heard nothing else. And horror gripped my heart I was completely confused. How could David's son, the one who would eternally reign forever, establishing eternal kingdom, how could this Messiah, David's son, die, be killed? And what happened next was this this volcanic eruption. And before I knew it, I was in Jesus' face. And I grabbed his tunic and I said, Never! May it never be! This is the part where I really became the goat in a way that I'll regret forever. He slapped me back 
into reality out of nowhere. He didn't hit me with his hand. I wish he had. I'd more quickly recovered from that blow than I did from the words that cut me to the heart. He turned to me, not privately, not quietly in the corner, but so that all the others could hear plainly why he had come. And he said these words to me, Get thee behind me, Satan. He he who had just blessed me called me Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Oh, if I could take back that day, I would in an instant. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Peter, why didn't you get it? Why didn't your friends understand that Messiah had to suffer? I I understand the question, but can I remind you, I'm sure it's true today as it was in my day, that as we look back in the events in the past, they're so much clearer than as we're going through those. You have the advantage of the cross and the cross becomes a lens in which you can see things more clearly than we ever could. Truly you understand what John was saying when he wrote in Revelation that he is a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But for us, living in the moment, in the day, it wasn't clear at all. I hear you say, but what about some of the promises? What about some of the prophecies about Messiah? And I wonder if you're not thinking about the first word of promise that God gave to Eve, that her son, one of her descendants, would crush the enemy's head. That's precisely why we couldn't get it. We were waiting for Messiah to crush the enemy, to free us from Rome's tyranny, from the curse of the law. The idea that 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 would be through his crucifixion never popped into our minds. When, when the promise goes on to talk about his heel being struck by the enemy, Satan himself, how could we have imagined what that all meant? Yes, it's true. When Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His cry brought us back to David's psalm. For our Lord was quoting Psalm 22 when he cried out those words. And in Psalm 22, David writes, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's what we saw and heard. Every ping of a hammer now reminds me of the nails being driven through his hands and feet. How they gloated and spit at him and mocked him and those scoundrels that gambled for his clothes. All true. We just didn't see it so clearly as we see it now. To be sure, Isaiah spoke of the suffering servant, this Messiah who would come and suffer for us. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. 
Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This is precisely what we came to believe, that the cross was not an accident, that actually was the will of the Father to send His Son. And what Jesus talked about His mission was not to be served, but to come and serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He said it countless times. The cross was at the heart of God's saving plan, the heart of His love for all humanity. That's precisely what I preached that first day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and and flooded our hearts and and people thought that we were drunk there at 9 o'clock in the morning. And as I stood and I preached, I told them that it was God's set purpose according to His foreknowledge that He allowed these men to crucify Jesus on a Roman cross. And so you need to understand that in our wildest dreams, crushing the enemy and being crushed by death never came together in our minds. In our wildest dreams, we couldn't understand that being struck on the heel by the enemy would be an execution on a Roman cross. How could we ever have dreamt that being freed from the curse of the law and death would come as he would hang on a tree cursed for us? And yet that's precisely what we now understand he had to die there was no other way it wasn't some twisted act of faith that caught God by surprise his plan from before the creation of the world as I look back on that three-year fishing expedition there's these interesting bookends that stand on either end both have to do with me and Jesus Both have to do with the great catch of fish. Both have to do with an increased awareness of my own need of a Savior and of the cross. I told you about the first when I fell on my knees and confessed that I was a sinner and he ought to depart because I have no business being in his presence. The other, though, happened after the resurrection. Remember how the angels told us at the tomb that we're to meet Jesus up in Galilee? And so we did. And there on the seashore, Jesus sat and asked us to catch him some fish for breakfast. And, and we had a great catch that morning, 153 fish. I still remember it. And we cooked breakfast there over the open fire. And then Jesus and I, just alone together, had this very hard conversation. Hard because he asked me the same question three times. The question was, Peter, do you love me? Each time that he asked the question, I couldn't help but think back to my threefold denial when I wouldn't stand and be counted as one of his followers. 
And each time he asked the question, I said with all my heart, Lord, you know I love you. I love you, Lord. You need to know that every time to this day that I hear a rooster crow, my mind goes racing back to the events in that courtyard that dark night. And Jesus knew exactly where I was that morning, still wrestling with what I had done, in a sense paralyzed by it all. And he gave a sweet response to my, I love you, Lord. And his response was, then feed my sheep. I think what he meant was, then get on with the business that I've called you to of of fishing for men and feeding them. Don't wallow in your guilt. What I've done on the cross, I did for you, Peter. It's been paid. It is finished. Now get on with the work. And then he talked to me about the kind of death I would suffer. It was an ominous sort of predictive speech that he gave regarding my death. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that whatever it was that he was calling me to, I would die for him, even if it meant crucifixion on a cross. I would do it. For I understood that he died for me, one who had denied him, had gone to the cross for me. I would gladly bear that same cross. In fact, that's precisely what he taught us. That very day when I confessed him, Messiah... He said, whoever would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever seeks to save his life, he'll lose his life. But if you lose your life for me, Jesus said, and for the gospel, you will save it. You'll find your life. What is a prophet a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul, he went on to say. And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in the midst of this sinful generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his angels. Oh, how I praise God that Jesus not for a moment considered my rebuke to turn away from the cross. How I praise God that he strengthened his son in his hour of need when he pled with the father, if there's any other way, Lord, take it away from me, Father. Yet not my will, yours be done. How I praise God that Jesus was willing to do the will of the Father to the very end, to the point of shedding his own blood for me. How I praise God that the cross was not an accident. It was not a mistake. It was the plan of God and that Jesus mounted the cross, the righteous man for unrighteous people like you and me to bring us to God. That he would do that for the glory of God, for the good of all humanity. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to save this world. Almighty Father, we bless you for your great love that had no bounds, that you would send your precious son to die for a scoundrel like me. We pray as we walk with your son to the cross this Easter, that you would strengthen us to follow as we ought, 
denying ourselves and living for you and giving our lives to others that they too might know of your great love. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I pray. Amen.